0: this is health yeah your weekly update on what's going on in the health wellness and medical world with monica robbins hey everyone thanks so much for checking out health yeah your prescription for clear concise medical health and wellness information please subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you can get a weekly dose of some timely health topics today we're going to inspire you and make you reflect on what's really important in life which in the middle of a pandemic is some much needed stress relief we could all seriously use. And to help me do this is Dr. Robert Smith, the Director of the Medical Staff Assistance Program at MetroHealth and also a psychologist. Thank you so much for joining me and being willing to share your incredible story because it has been quite the last five year journey you have been on. So start me from the beginning, 2016, what happened?
1: Well, Monica, you know, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, Back in 2016, basically, I was having some abdominal problems. I was bloated and not feeling well, and I was actually coming back from a conference and feeling really sick. And when I got home, I just was having these shooting pains in my side. And so we went to the emergency room. They did an x-ray, and unfortunately, they discovered that I have colon cancer. Um, At that point, it was, um, it had gone to my lymph nodes. And so then that would be stage three.
0: So what was the treatment? What did you have to go through from that point?
1: So at that point, you know, um, the doctors were wonderful. They referred me to an oncologist. I went to Metro. We did the workup. Um, we did the surgery and then we did the chemotherapy.
0: So you hear that word cancer and, and I, you know, I can tell you, I, I, was on the other end of that where I heard the word, the words brain tumor and your world just stops. How did you kind of get your grip and get out of that first phase when you were first diagnosed? What did you do?
1: Well, my first response was not so great. (laughs) I mean, my first response was, oh, this is not right. Um, they must've made a mistake. Um, am I going to die? <clears throat> is this fatal? Um, this isn't fair. Um, I don't deserve this. So I went through all that emotional stuff in your head that you go through because you're thinking, this is bad. Um, I'm not probably going to make it through this. And so then you start thinking about all the losses that you're going to experience. It's very sad. Um, fortunately, I have a wonderful support network. Um, I have a wife of 40, 45 years this summer. She's a sweetheart, an angel. Um, I'm so fortunate. Linda has been by my side always. And then I have family and friends. I really give a lot of credit to them lifting me
0: up. You started telling people, you were pretty open about it. What what made you decide to do that?
1: That's pretty much the way I am. I I don't see much benefit from being secretive and private for me And, and for others that's okay. But for me, I find that my connections with others fulfill me, lift me up, um, give me a sense of purpose in life. And so if I was to keep this a secret, then suddenly I would be building walls. And then I'd also be creating that, that complicated, well, you know, but you don't know. And so then people don't know who they can talk to. And it's like, I just said, forget all that. I told everyone, I told everyone they could share it. And it was fine. In fact, I had many people come up to me and say, you don't know how grateful I am that you're open and honest about your cancer.
0: I kind of did the same thing. I I told certain people because I felt there were certain people who needed to hear it from me, but um, I, I didn't tell them they couldn't tell anybody. You know, I said, if anybody comes up and asks you about it, feel free. You can tell them what's going on, but tell them to come talk to me. Please don't try and share my information or my medical information on your own.
1: Basically, I do a lot of interacting with lots of people at work. So I do like a rounds where I walk through the hospital and check on people and see how they're doing, because my role is to support the staff. And so just as I started meeting with people and talking with people, I would just tell them them. And so then people would come to me and say, I heard, is that true? And I'd say, yes, it is true. And you look like you're okay. And I said, well, I am okay. Cause I have people like you who care.
0: So a lot of people don't realize it's that, that human connection that kind of gives you the, the gumption, I, I guess, if you will, to, to get ready for that fight. What What was it the other thing I hear a lot from people is, you know, they they often told me that, oh, I don't know what I would do if I was in your situation, or I don't know what, I don't think I could handle a cancer diagnosis or, you know, a brain tumor diagnosis. And I always said, you know what, you never know how you're going to react until it happens. But you and I had two choices, live or die. It was pretty simple to make that decision. But yet, you talked about there was a lot of things you had to go through. So, how did you process, and how did you, you know, start me from the beginning on how you started bringing yourself out of that "oh woe is me" kind of feeling?
1: So it's interesting because I'm a psychologist. I've been studying a field called positive psychology for almost twenty years, and that's all about resilience and well-being, and I teach that. So it was like, okay, (laughs) you can teach it, now can you do it? And so I had to take those principles and use them and apply them to my own life. I had to reframe what I was looking at. I had to step back. One of the key things that was really, really helpful was gratitude. So I do this silly little thing. Each day I look for three good things that happened in the last 24 hours. And I just recognize those things, and I feel and I feel a sense of being blessed to have good things happen in my life all the time. Well, I started doing that years ago because it's actually taught in positive psychology. Well, now, I look forward to doing my three good things. And they've become more and more meaningful. Because when you first start doing it, they're kind of superficial things, you know, I had pizza for lunch today, you know. (laughs) But then as you go along, you begin to recognize that, no, there are very meaningful things that sometimes we take for granted. And this kind of experience makes those things more significant. You know, a few minutes with your grandson or granddaughter makes all the difference in the world.
0: You start thinking about those things that you might've done without, is that how it works?
1: Sure. And you also begin to realize that within us, there's a lot of strength. Um, My grandfather would have called it grit, you know, determination, perseverance, but I add one additional thing and that is optimism. I want to survive. I'm not looking to just be alive. I want to live. And so the only way to accomplish that is if I can see the good and I have to move away from just seeing the challenges and the, the struggles, I've got to see the good stuff. And it's all around us. If we look, if we see it.
0: Isn't that about being present?
1: Yes. And the word is mindful. And that's a whole nother area that, that I teach. Um, and so I practice that that I do what I call mindful walking. So each day I try to go for a walk. And if if I'm at work, I do it at work. And as I said, I do my rounds, I walk through the hospital, and I try to be fully present with every person who I encounter. To see them, hear them, understand what they're sharing, and be able to connect with them. And then I also try to go outside and go for a walk in the neighborhood. At that moment, I just want to use all my senses to experience what's going on around me. To feel the breeze, to feel the sun, to hear the dog barking, to smell the flowers, to truly be in that moment and not allow myself to worry about what's tomorrow or next week. Because if I do that, I I lose out on what's going on right now.
0: Why is that so important? Especially if you are dealing with a stressful situation or a dire diagnosis? Well, because
1: what do I have control over? My thoughts, my feelings, my actions. That's it. I'm done. The rest of it, I may be able to influence. I can make some choices. I can invest some energy. But I always say invest in the process, but don't think that you control the outcome. And I've certainly learned that.
0: <laughs> and that has to come there's that accept acceptance thing too that you you have to learn to accept and, and I did the same thing. I, I said, you know, there are things you can control and there are things you can't control and you have to figure out which is which and let the universe handle the rest. And it's That's not, nice. it's not an easy thing to do for people who are, you know, forgive me, but I'm a control freak. So it's not an easy thing to do, but I had to learn. I'm still, I'm still learning. And, but how do you teach that? How do you, how do you help people understand that, you know, in my opinion, what I've learned is worry is an utterly useless emotion because you have no control.
1: Sure. I always say worry is what you do when you have nothing constructive to do.
0: <laughs> That's a
1: great point.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you
1: I... want to learn powerlessness, anybody who has children, picture A two to three year old. How much control do you have? Let me help you put your shoes on. No, I can do it myself. We don't have control. It's an illusion. We don't control the weather. We don't control our friends. We don't control what's going to happen at work. We don't control what's going to happen tomorrow. I was told the story. So this is several years back before the cancer. I was coming home from work and I'm driving and it's in the winter and it's a little blustery and cold, but it's, the roads are pretty good. And I'm just coming up to my neighborhood and I'm getting ready to pull in. And I'm excited because my wife had made chili and cornbread and she makes great chili and cornbread. And as I'm sitting with my, my, in my vehicle with my turning signal on, I'm waiting to turn in. And all of a sudden, bam, a truck behind me had been distracted and didn't see me and shoved me down the road. Now, that wasn't part of the plan. It was cornbread and chili. But that's life. Any time that we have this illusion that we can plan and control and anticipate and prepare No. I mean, yeah, it makes sense to make some plans and it makes sense to try to organize and look to the future. But if you think that that's really what's going to happen, what about 2020? I'm sure people had lots of plans, vacations, holidays, gatherings, and then COVID comes and all of that gets pushed away. That's the essence of life. We have to be able to adapt. To adjust, to modify, and if we do that, that's how we we survive. That's how we thrive, because it's constantly changing.
0: How do you teach someone to be to be somebody who can adapt?
1: Is it- I teach different skills. I teach the three good things, so that people can learn that. I teach mindfulness. I teach. I don't know if you've ever heard of the the little phrase perma. No. So that's part of positive psychology. And so what we do is we teach what are the components of well-being. So the first one is positive emotion, happiness, joy, you know, all those good feelings. And we want to be aware of those and savor them when they occur. That's cool. Then there's, so it's P-E-R-M-A, positive emotion, then engagement. Engagement is that ability, and you know this so well, it's when we are fully immersed in something and we're we're passionate about it and we are engaged and we lose complete sense of time. All of our problems go away. And the next thing you know, somebody's knocking on the door, somebody's tapping us on the shoulder going, hello, were you gonna come down and and join us for dinner? Were you gonna stop working? It's like 11 o'clock at night, it's time to go to bed we were lost in what we were doing. That's engagement. And there's a word for it, it's called flow. And so when we can achieve that flow state, we really feel excited about what we're doing. So positive emotion, engagement, and then relationships. Those connections with other people who we can lift up and who lift us up. And then meaning. And that is probably one of the greatest gifts that cancer has given me. I know what has meaning in life now for me, for me. And I know what I value. I know what has um, real urgency for me to spend time and to do. And I don't ever want to lose sight of that. I want to live my life consistent with my values and my principles. And then the last thing is accomplishment. I want to feel that I made a difference. That I touched people's lives and that I contributed something of value. Even if I can't see it today, you know, it's that, that story about, you know, sometimes one of the most selfless acts is I plant a seed. And it's going to grow into a beautiful large oak tree someday. I'll never get to sit under that tree and, and enjoy it, but others will. And knowing that you can make that kind of impact, for me, that has all, makes all the difference in the world. So that's what I try to teach, PERMA. I try to get people to begin looking at their life and looking at how they live. Because if we do that, we're going to be more than happy happy is good i mean there's nothing wrong with being happy but it's temporary and it goes up and down and up and down well-being however contentment fulfillment those i think are something we have to to build and we can create in our lives so i try to teach that
0: that's one thing i learned is uh you know, don't sweat the small stuff and truly everything is small stuff. You have to really really figure out what is important in, you had talked about, you know, one of the things you had to confront was mortality. And it's the one thing that none of us ever want to talk about. None of us ever want to think about. And I remember, the day I was diagnosed, then <clears throat> the next day, I got a phone call from the surgeon's office, and one of the first things they said to me was, uh, you need to start thinking about getting your affairs in order. And at first, it was like, you know, a punch in the gut. And then I, then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. I should have that stuff done anyway. And I tried to turn it, you know, to think they weren't telling me I was going to die they were telling me be prepared and I started putting it in my head that you know what hey if I get all of this stuff taken care of I'm not going to need it and I don't know how or where that ability came from to take you know something bad and turn it around other than maybe it was desperation or maybe that's what I I forced myself to learn But I thought that was one way. How did you deal with that? What did you learn from, you know, having to face that mortality up close and personal?
1: So I have what I call the four absolutes. (laughs) And they really come from Buddhist philosophy. And it's called five remembrances. I always focus on the four. So the first is our nature to grow old. And then I look at the young audience and I tell them, take a look. This is coming your way. You are going to age. You are going to get old. You're going to get gray hair. You're going to get wrinkles. It happens. Get over it. Second thing is I say it is our nature to get sick. These are human bodies. They're frail. It's amazing that more things don't break down when you think about how complicated they are but we'll get sick. And then it's our nature to die. It's not negotiable. It will happen. And when it will happen is not up to us. Not in any way, shape or form. And the illusion that we know how long we're going to live. Why? Anything can happen at any time what we'd have is this moment right now. And then I end with the fourth one, (laughs) which is even more encouraging. And that is, it is the nature of everything that we value and everything that we care about to change and go away. And the problem is not those four things. The problem is that we live in a culture that doesn't want to accept those four things. We are told, and and whether it's in advertisements, whether it's on commercials, on TV, whatever it is that we don't have to grow old, we can be eternally youthful, um, that we're never going to get sick, take this pill, take this shot, do this, do that, and and we're never going to get sick. And people will not even acknowledge death. We don't even talk about it. It's too morbid. I love that. (laughs) That's a morbid topic. Let's not talk about that. That's true. It is. (laughs) So part of it is that we're working against a culture that can't accept what you and I went through, are going through. And so that makes it really hard because if you say to someone, wow, you know, I'm, I'm scared that I may die. Oh, no, don't think about that. You're going to be fine. Well, maybe not. <laughs> and, and the part that always strikes me as odd is that everyone dies, but we don't talk about it to learn from others. I and mean, what we're doing right now is we're talking about how we have grown through what we experienced. Each person, as they approach death, I'm sure has lots of insights and and many, many understandings that they could share with us. Why wouldn't we welcome that?
0: Do you fear death now?
1: Sure, I'd I'd be lying if I said no. Um, I think that I'll be okay with that. Um, The unknown is always, I think, a little scary. You know we have faith we have belief but we don't know i'm a scientist so it's hard <laughs> <laughs> but i think that it's not death itself that worries me too much i think i worry about my wife my family um yeah
0: that's where i don't I want to see there. them suffer yeah, i felt the same way i i wasn't worried so much about me i i thought you know in the big i think it it forced i'm already a realist more so than an idealist and i think it forced me to accept the fact that you know i lived a very very good life i'm in no hurry to leave it mm-hmm. but I was more concerned about leaving others behind and how they would be. And that was one of the things why I thought, you know, we talked about what you can and can't control. And I thought, well, getting my affairs in order and making life easier for them would be one thing I had control over and it brought me peace of mind and hopefully them peace of mind as well. There's nothing, we, we can't change what could potentially happen, but at least you can make some sort of a difference, and especially with that. And I encourage people now, don't wait for a horrible diagnosis before you decide to you know, get those affairs in order. It's something you have control over, and it's something you can do today that just in case you know you can say I did that I'm okay I made sure everybody else was okay as 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 much as you can yes the other thing I I learned and I, I saw from from your article I I attitude is as important as medicine in my opinion and I I was fortunate to learn so much from so many people I've interviewed over the years who went through things that were, in my opinion, far worse than what I was dealing with and the way they handled it with grace and the dignity. And I thought, you know what, that's, that's how I'm going to handle this too i literally had the why me cry for about 30 seconds and then i heard this voice that i'm pretty sure was my dad saying girl get off the ground and get your act together and i and i turned it into warrior mode and i thought you know what i got a really really hard mma fight coming up like i'm gonna fight Stepe, and uh he's gonna kick my butt but i'm gonna fight as hard as i can And I didn't have time for tears. And that was one thing that kind of got me when I told people they, you know, some of them cried. And then I found myself trying to take care of them. And, you know, so I tell people now, if somebody gives you a dire diagnosis, you can cry. Just don't do it in front of them. Go somewhere else. (laughs) You know, how do you handle that? Because I'm sure people got emotional with you when you told them what your situation was as well. How do you handle that?
1: It helps that I'm a psychologist. So I'm very comfortable with other people's emotions. One of the things though, that I've, I've really worked on is letting other people support me. Because I'm pretty self-sufficient, pretty independent. Um, but this helps me. I think about how good I feel when I do something for someone else. If I give them a gift or I surprise them with a visit or I just do something nice for them, to see that smile on their face and that gratitude and how I surprise them, I feel great. And I realize that when I become real stoic and independent, I deprive them of that wonderful feeling of supporting me and so i have to let myself be vulnerable i have to let myself be open and let them give to me
0: that was the hardest thing i had to learn and because i'm the one usually taking care of everybody else and i and i told people i i had no idea and you probably understand this is someone who, who was in the same situation as, as I was, where, you know, I, I never really understood the power of healing thoughts and prayer. And I truly believe, you know, for all those people who just took an instant to think of me, it's why I'm still here. That's what I believe because I never in a million years would have experienced that much overwhelming, emotion from people who you you don't know how much people care about you until you go through something like this and somebody made a really really uh, prophetic comment to me where they said how lucky are you that you're able to hear from people about what you mean to them before you're dead
1: that's exactly and, right
0: and i thought The gift of that and how we should be sharing that with each other more often than we do. We shouldn't have to wait for a dire diagnosis to tell somebody what they mean to them.
1: So I have an exercise that I do. Um, I ask everyone in the room to identify one person who has made a meaningful difference in their life. And then I say, I'm going to give you the next five minutes and I want you to write a letter to that person, telling them how important they are to you and how they've touched your life. And then when they're done, I ask them during the coming days to contact that person and read the letter to them. This gratitude letter has an unbelievable positive impact on the person who receives it, but more importantly, it has an unbelievable positive impact on the person who reads the letter. In fact, we have research that shows that if you do this exercise, you can feel that increase in happiness or mood up to 30 days later from writing one letter. Now, the most meaningful thing to me was that I've done this training several times. And just this last year, I had a person in my class who said, I heard you tell me to do this a couple years ago. And he said, when you told me this, the whole group, he said, don't wait. But now, you wrote the letter, go read it to that person. And he said, you know what? I did I went and I read it to my grandfather, and the following week he died. And he said, that was the most wonderful thing that I had done. And I'm so grateful that I did it, because I could have missed the opportunity to tell him how much I loved him. And I think, again, this makes it all very clear. Our time today is what we have. Make sure you use it in a meaningful way. Don't delay. Don't wait.
0: That is so, uh, you know what? That's everyone's homework assignment after they stop (laughs) listening to this podcast is go write that letter to someone and then then call them up or go visit them and read it to them. Um, Yeah, I You're right. That is, that is so I have a box under this desk that my microphone is sitting on of um, hundreds of cards that people had sent me. And it has been my intention to those who put return addresses to send them a thank you note, because I don't think people actually realize from total strangers what, what they meant to me, you know, and, and how they helped me get through. You know some of the darkest days of my life and i i'm hoping that people when they listen to this they understand that just because you're told something horrible um and you and i you're still going through it because 2016 wasn't your first diagnosis what happened after that
1: so in 2016 we were excited because um we thought we got all the cancer It looked pretty good. And then a very strange thing happened in 2019. Um, We had only taken out a part of my colon. And I got a second cancer. It was not a recurrence of the first cancer. It was a new colon cancer. So I had colon cancer again. (laughs) Bummer. And so then this time we decided we'd take the whole colon out. And that went very well. And again, very optimistic because we got it all. It's gone. And I can't get colon cancer because I don't have a colon. So then in December, um, the colon cancer from 2016 metastasized. And they discovered that it was in my liver and my lung. And so we did chemotherapy. The good news is we caught it early. It's a small number of lesions. They're small. And we did the chemotherapy and they've shrunk. And so now we're going to do liver surgery and lung surgery.
0: When you go through something like that, where it's almost like you just keep getting kicked while you're down and you're just trying to stand back up and then something else happens. How do you take everything that you've been preaching, if you will, and put it back into practice when it feels like You know, really? Why? Why me again?
1: That I've learned, it's not about me. That this isn't being done to me. This is not, I'm not being victimized. I'm not being picked on. Um, It just is. And if it wasn't this, it would be something else. And, And I'm not alone. You know, that's the other thing. It's like, okay, I've got cancer. Somebody else has a sick family member or they are, struggling with poverty, or they're struggling with a sick child, or they everybody has something. I would say emotions are the universal language. Doesn't matter where you go in the world. A tear is a tear, a smile is a smile. We all experience emotion, we all experience loss. We all experience change. We all experience death. But we also experience birth and little children running and laughing. Things that make us smile. So there's all those things. This didn't happen to me. It just is. It's my journey. And so I'm gonna go through my journey and I'm gonna demonstrate grit and determination and perseverance until it's not my journey anymore.
0: That's another thing. I'm glad you brought that up, because I I've mm-hmm. what I learned is Never question somebody else because you never know what journey they're on and you may be very grateful it's not yours. And- so there's
1: a wonderful old, it's like a little story. If everyone could take their problems and put them into a big pile and then suddenly you step away, you come back And you see all the problems, and you could pick which ones you want. You would probably take yours back because people are struggling with a lot of different things, and I have great compassion for all of them. And this past year has been just horrific. Yeah, Um, I've I've been watching our staff at the hospital. I've been watching our patients. They're all challenged. They're all Exhausted. Um, we, we actually talk about emotional exhaustion now. And everyone wants the pandemic to end. Everyone wants to go back to normal, but not yet. And so you have all those challenges in life, and then you have the pandemic on top of it, and then you have social distancing, and you have masks. Just all of that together has really, really paid um, a, a terrible toll. The National Institute of Mental Health has demonstrated that we're at sort of record levels of depression, anxiety, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, suicide, domestic violence. And We have so many issues right now um, and we need to support each other. We need to help each other get past this. Um, I always tell everybody, I wish we hadn't called it social distancing I wish we had called it physical distancing because socially we need to be connected as much as possible.
0: One of the things when I was feeling sorry for myself to get me out of bed was I thought about everybody else who's going through something worse. And if they could function, there was no excuse for me. And that really helped me continue on my journey. The other thing I... I allowed myself those days to go down the rabbit hole, if you will. And I didn't beat myself up over it because, you know, you can only take so much. And I found that, you know, when I would let myself have those, oh, what was me, you know, or in my, in my case, I did a lot of avoidance. I tried to avoid the things I really needed to focus on and I channeled it elsewhere that I shouldn't have been channeling it. And when I recognized that, you know, I called it the rabbit hole. I realized, you know what, it's dark, it's dank. It has no Wi-Fi or cable and sunshine is far more fun. So get your butt out of it and get moving. And, um, you know, when I realized those things, that's what helped me. What are you, what's your advice to people and how to help them kind of do the same thing?
1: So, you know, you just talked about something and you gave such a great example. It's called self-compassion. So one of the most dangerous things for all of us is self-criticism. When I criticize myself, when I find fault with what I do, when I feel like I'm inadequate, I'm a failure, I keep pushing myself down. And so now, as you said, I'm just going down in that rabbit hole. I'm going deeper and deeper. And then I just find more and more things to criticize. Self-compassion is the flip of that. It's the opposite. It's recognizing, yes, I'm having a bad day. I made a mistake. I could have done better. Fine. But then it's about lifting us up and recognizing that I'm still a good person, I'm still lovable, there's good in the world, I can contribute to that, but I can't do that if I'm beating myself up over and over again about something I've done in the past. And that self-compassion, that internal voice is so important. You think about it, <clears throat> we go through a day, we talk to ourselves more than anyone else in the world. Every moment, we're we're commenting about that person over there. We're commenting about the neighbor's dog. It's all in our head. And everything we say and everything we do, we're critiquing it. Well, is that voice positive and constructive and uplifting? Or is it critical and demeaning and putting us down? And so I'm really cautious about not allowing myself, as you said, to get in that dark space. Now it doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but I catch it, turn myself around and say, okay, enough of that. Let's be realistic. And it's funny, if you stay close to the facts, generally we're pretty good. My life is great. I have cancer, okay. But my life is great. I have a loving wife, a loving family, grandkids. I have four grandkids. They're the best. (laughs) And to see them and interact with them and play with them, you know, my my bucket's full. I, I feel great. So why would I then think that my life is terrible? It's not. It's not perfect. It's got some stuff that I wish wasn't there but it's got a lot of good.
0: But who doesn't, who doesn't have stuff that they wish wasn't there? You know, my life, my life is perfect because I woke up this morning and I got out of bed and you know, I, you had mentioned about your four Buddhist points about one of them being, you know, we're all going to get old. And I used to be one of those people who never wanted to discuss her birthday. And you know what, (laughs) I celebrate my birthdays now. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty damn lucky I saw another birthday. And I I look at it from a a completely, you know, and, and the sad thing is, is I know people are going to listen to this and I don't want them to think that you have to have a horrible thing happen to you to be able to put these things into practice. This is something every one of us should be doing all the time, your gratitude, your three points of gratitude. I talked to Dr. Michael Roizen, who told me every single day, he writes a thank you letter first thing in the morning. He writes a thank you note to three different people every single day. And that's how he starts his day. And that's exactly what you were saying. It's, it's like every day, if you could write, it doesn't have to be you know, an epic encyclopedia of, of what somebody did or how wonderful they are in your life, but just a few things, just the fact that you're thinking of them matters.
1: That's right. That's right. We can touch people in such a simple way there are 8,000 employees at Metro. I walk through and I smile and say good morning. And I wish I could tell you I knew all their names. I don't, but what I find is that people will say, you know, you're that doctor that always walks through and smiles and says good morning. And that, that is so wonderful. I really appreciate that you do that. And I thought, so all I did was smile and say good morning. We think sometimes we have to do so much, and it can be just a very simple act, putting your hand on someone's shoulder, smiling at them, asking them, so how you doing? How's your mom? I heard your mom was sick. Doing okay? It's the simplest stuff. We made it hard.
0: Yeah, it's not brain surgery. Trust me.
1: No, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> I can I can say that for a fact. It's not. We don't have to make it that hard. One of the things that, you know, if you had the lasting impact, the lasting advice that you want people to take with them, what, what would it be?
1: That no, how, no matter how bleak or how sad something seems in the moment, it's temporary. Um, That's part of what I teach is that nothing lasts forever. Everything's temporary. So even the bad feeling, Even that pain, that suffering, is temporary. And that if you can just lift your head up and look around you, be present, there's something wonderful and beautiful surrounding you. You just have to see it. It's there. It may be a sunrise or a sunset. It may be a family member, a friend. It may be your favorite food. I don't know. But it's there. And if you can just be in that moment and enjoy that, savor that. You don't have to relive the past and you don't have to prepare for the future. Just be right here.
0: You know, what got me through was there was nothing I could do about yesterday. I have no idea what tomorrow is bringing, but I can focus on the next five minutes. That's right. And that's how I managed to get through my days. And I have to say, and tell me if you agree with this, but I think my diagnosis and what I went through and what I'm still going through, prepared me for this pandemic in such a twisted way. Because I've, you know, while everybody is so consumed and overwhelmed, I'm like, we're gonna blink and this is gonna be gone. You know, and that's the way I look at it is like, it's, it's okay. There is an end. It's going to end. Everything always does. It's just a matter of, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna stink while we're dealing with it. But that's what I had to go through. When, after my surgery, I woke up, I couldn't see. I didn't know how long that was gonna last. I, I, my vision was all distorted. And, um, that was something where you know every morning i had to wake up and wait to see could i was my vision getting any better and it took a couple of months and believe me when i tell you that was the longest two months of my life but it got better and i'll never forget the day they told me i could i was cleared to drive and all i did yeah i got in the car and i just drove down the street And the universe has a really sick sense of humor because as I'm driving down the street, a herd of deer came running out of the street and just stood there in the middle. And I had to like slam on the brakes. (laughs) And I'm like, really? You know, really? You're going to do this to me? But again, it goes back to what you said. Life happens. You never know. It's how you react to it. And I was smart enough and had my vision back enough. I slammed on the brakes and waited for him to leave. When,
1: when, how about that a whole herd of deer welcomed you
0: yeah yeah that wasn't the kind of welcome I was hoping for, hoping for the first time I got back behind the wheel but you know at the same time it didn't it didn't diminish my joy of being able to drive again and that's the way I looked I looked at it I also tried to find humor in every single thing I possibly could you know, I, I looked for the weirdest things to find funny and, and that's, I, I'm still doing that because I thought, you know, it's so much better to laugh than cry. It's, you know, it burns more calories. Look at it that way. So.
1: <laughs> well, and it, it brings people to you. True. A smile, a laugh. You know, I, I, I talk a lot about. If there's one thing I hope for 2021, it's that we grow from the pandemic and learn how important our relationships are and that we really fully appreciate what love is. Because I think in our culture, sometimes we make it sort of this superficial emotion. And true loving relationships have meaning beyond words. That sense of trust and respect, inequality and acceptance, forgiveness, that all come together in this sort of recipe that allows two people to form a sense of intimacy that nothing can really take away.
0: In my opinion, self-care is survival. It's okay to take care of yourself every once in a while.
1: I use this example. I say, okay, let's say that I'm walking through the hospital and everyone is thirsty and I've got a pitcher of water and I go around and I give everyone a cup of water and they drink the water and their, their thirst is quenched and they feel great, wonderful. And I'm going around and all these people are thirsty and I'm giving them water and it feels really good. And all of a sudden I notice the is getting light. And I look inside and it's almost empty. If I don't refill the pitcher, I can't share water with any more people. I'm the pitcher. You're the pitcher. We give caring, concern, compassion, love, understanding, support, nurturing to other people. We pour that out. If we don't replenish that will become depleted and we have nothing to give so my self-care is good for me and it also enables me to continue to care for others
0: dr smith thank you so much for sharing your insight this has been so incredibly helpful and i hope people will take what you've said to heart and learn from it and put it into practice as well Uh, You talked a lot about colon cancer. You talked a lot about everything that you've been going through. If uh, I don't want people just Googling anything, there's no way in health. They want to go around and just check anything. So what are some websites you would recommend if people want more information for anything you discussed?
1: I think if you're wanting to have information about cancer, I think you go to the American Cancer Society. They have a wonderful website and then go from there. I'm not real big on getting lots of information online. I think the next thing you do is you go and you talk to an oncologist and you get the information specific to what your situation is. Because otherwise, if we're not careful, we get misinformation and that puts us down the wrong path.
0: Great advice. Dr. Smith, thank you so much. So insightful, and I wish you continued success. I wish you the greatest luck in in your future endeavors and your treatment. I hope all is going well. When is your uh, surgery scheduled?
1: Appropriately, it's scheduled for April Fool's Day.
0: I have a feeling you and I are gonna be chatting again quite soon after your surgery, because I have a feeling you're gonna be learning a lot more too after that. So thank you so much, and uh, I hope everyone, again, takes what you said and puts it into practice because uh, you, it's it's one of those things where you never know who becomes a teacher. Any one of us could become a teacher. It's just a matter of how you get That's through right. the next five minutes. Thank you so much. Everyone, remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Monica Robbins and Instagram as well. And on my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC, to learn about upcoming podcasts and health news. And, of course, stay up to date at WKYC.com and the WKYC social and YouTube channel as well. Stay well, everyone, and have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios.